This podcast is intended for mature audiences. Listener discretion is advised. We understand that some of our opinions will not be shared with many people and hope you can still bear with us in order to hear amazing Wisconsin-based stories. We are not licensed therapists or able to give legal advice by any means. Our show notes will provide all of our source materials included for each episode. Now Now on on to to the the show. Welcome back to All the Sins of Wisconsin. I am Fallon and I'm here with Mims. How are you today? I'm doing great. I feel great. My spirits are up. Um, what about you? I'm doing great too. Do you think it's the sun? It's definitely the sun. The sun and that it's not frigid. Mm-hmm. I hate it. I don't know why we live here, but we do. I'm asking that too. <laughs> right. Um, so if you guys we're listening to our last episode, Shame on You. I'm just kidding. Um, we announced that we are changing our format for our episodes, and I just want to reiterate that so that you are in the know and you're not confused when you listen to us. Um, we're going to be covering one case per episode. Um, as I mentioned before, nothing's going to change as far as when we release it. And um, we're both going to be on it, um, so that's super important to us. We just want to be more focused on the case at hand and not feel rushed um, and just be really present when we are recording. So that's why we're making that change. Yeah. And we hope that you are still tuning in every week because we have a lot of fun things planned for this year. Um, obviously, I'm not going to let you know right away, but... Be warned that we are having a lot of cool things coming, so. Mm-hmm. Surprises. Surprises. Um, I have some true crime news. Okay, what do you have? So, listen to this. Two Wisconsin women, Grace Martin and Kaylee Meisner, have domestic terrorism charges after they made a coordinated attack at the proposed Atlanta Public Safety Training Center. Um, They pretended to be peaceful protesters. And honestly, I don't understand what they were protesting. Oh, this is a big thing that's going on. Okay, maybe you can enlighten me. So, Mm -hmm. however, things quickly changed when they threw large rocks, bricks, and Molotov cocktails and fireworks at police officers. So nothing was deadly to anybody, thankfully, but they did cause a lot of destruction towards the construction of it. And um, obviously they're all detained and they were arrested and now have charges. It's a long list of charges, but overall the theme is domestic terrorism. Um, So like I said, I am a little confused on what the point of protesting this because it is a joint task force formed to combat ongoing criminal activity at the Atlanta Police Department. Um, So I don't know, could you touch on that, I guess? Um, These protests have been going on for probably a month. I have, I did see that. longer. I did see that, yeah. And it's, 
From my understanding, basically, they want Atlanta to be like a police state, and people do not want more police. More police are not usually the answer. Okay, so they're fighting adding more police. Yeah, I don't know all the details of it. I've been trying not to watch the news. Right. I've just seen it on TikTok. Okay. Well, I guess that makes more sense on why it's happening, because I was like not putting two and two together before. I'm like, why? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there's it a lot. It seems odd to me to be building, like, a new police training center and everything when everybody in the country is, well, not everybody, but a good percentage of the country is trying to push for less police and alternative options to police. Right. I, I'm on the fence on that because I definitely know that police either need to have more extensive training and just like the know-how, how to handle really scary situations, which they have to put themselves through. And I totally get that. Yeah. Um, but I, I mean, I also understand that we need somebody to call if there is a dire situation. Right. Um, I don't want to be the one who has to shoot somebody um, in order to, to defend myself. Well, I, for sure, but I would rather have a police officer do that for me, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, but I definitely see both sides, for sure. I definitely agree with the more training. I, mm-hmm. As part of my job, I gather officer disciplinary records oh. for all of our cases. That any officers involved. And when I was reading, and I was, this cop was like the mental health resource officer that would go to the schools when there was problems. Mm-hmm. And I was reading the things he was saying and doing, and I was like, he is not suited for this job at all. Mm-hmm. So then once he is getting disciplined for his attitude and behavior in the role, he's asked, what training were you given between being a patrol officer and being promoted to this position? Right. right. None. He's a mental health resource officer with no mental health awareness or training. Yeah, no, that is not okay. And that's Green Bay. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. No, that is not okay at all. Like, it's crazy. And I, at first I was mad at him, but then I'm like, well, without any training, how is he going to know what to do? People don't just wake up and have the awareness to do this job. People go to school for years and years and years. Yeah, exactly. And... Sometimes people may try their best and have the best intentions, but like you mm-hmm. said, they're not qualified, so they don't know what the appropriate things to say or do yeah. really are. So, and then on top of that, if you don't have the right intentions, you go in and you just want a badge and you just want a gun and you just want power, Yeah. then we have a lot of things working against us. We have people not being trained and then people that go in it for the wrong reasons. Yeah. So that is just lowering the percentage of people that can actually do some good. Yeah. So that is our two cents on that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so this case has gone by many names. It's gone by the anti-freeze killer, um, kill list, uh, one of the longest running cases in Wisconsin's history. Um, but I'm naming this case after the person who it's all about, the person that matters. So this is the case of Julie Jensen from 
uh, Pleasant Prairie, Wisconsin. And my sources are a 2020 episode, Kill List, Kenosha News, ABC7, Fox News, I'm sorry, Fox Now, and Murderpedia. So, Julie Jensen lived the American dream in Pleasant Prairie, Wisconsin. She grew up, um, she was the only girl out of her family of all boys. That'd be fun. You're right. So her parents loved to go out on the weekends to dance and drink, and Julie was often the brother's babysitter. So they looked at her like a second mom because she was so maternal, she was so caring, and she kind of was forced into that position. Um, but it wasn't all dancing and smiles. Unfortunately, Julie's mother was an alcoholic and suffered from depression, so... She just wasn't completely mentally there for her kids and for herself and for her family. Right. So she, Julie, had to step up. Exactly. Yep. So then Julie married a man, uh, Mark Jensen, who was a stockbroker. And by all accounts, this was like the perfect marriage. Um, he had a great job and he was like, you don't have to work. You can just be the homemaker. So they had two beautiful boys together. Uh, she was so in love with her family that she had a customized license plate that read my three D's, which stood for her husband, dad, her son, David, and her other son, Douglas. So just really in love with the family that she has created. Um, so being a homemaker is a full-time job. Like nobody is yeah. disputing that. I have a lot of friends that are homemakers and what they tell me in a day, I'm just like, geez, I'm, I don't know how you do it. You get a lot done and you don't get paid. So that really is a job for sure. Mm-hmm. So she kept the house in order, including general maintenance, cook, clean, took care of the children. She was the glue that kept everything together and running smoothly. And when her husband would come home, it was expected that everything should be done. Oh, I love that. One of those types. That's always nice. <laughs> sure, everything is perfect for me when I get home. And then when my husband gets home, it's like chaos. Like my <laughs> I don't have kids, but my dogs are just chaotic as fuck. So, um, so one thing that they had that was rare in households in the '90s was a personal computer. It was considered a luxury. And they had it. This is going to be relevant for later, but I'm going to throw that out there right now. Okay. On the outside, they looked to be like a perfect family with all the amenities um, a family could ask for. However, as we all know, that is rarely the case, unfortunately. Um, If they, and I hate saying this because I truly feel blessed in my home and my relationship Mm because I feel like a lot of people say that like for my for my life oh it looks like you have a perfect life and i wouldn't like dispute it really right but like a lot of the times it's not like that when you get behind closed doors so this is one of those times yeah we can never assume because we don't walk around advertising our problems right and some people do and you know they'd be crying on on their stories and on facebook and i'm like i don't know how you guys do that so and they don't even have real problems those people right right yeah 
However, as we all know, like I said, um, that's not always the case. She was the only one taking care of the kids. So that made her feel unappreciated and like a single mother. And I totally get that. Like, if, I can't relate. Yeah. Like you're in the house. How like secluded is that where you're in the house, you're taking care of the kids that you both made mm-hmm. and making this house um, run smoothly and your partner comes home and just like, I'm going to do what I want. Yeah. And I'm going to leave you to tend to... I make the money so I can do whatever I want. Right. And it yeah. sucks. It's a really bad mentality to have. It is. So what made her feel like a single mother was that Mark was out drinking and partying and not coming home when he should have been. So she got fed up and filed for divorce in 1991. During the separation, while Mark was away on a business trip, she invited a male co-worker over for dinner. And like I said, they were separated. She already filed for a divorce. Mm-hmm. So in her mind, she's like, this is over. Yeah. So dinner turned into a whirlwind affair over the weekend. Oh. So think Bridges of Madison County, you know, <laughs> just like nobody's home but mom and this guy and everything steamy. And she just finally like being she noticed. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. She left. Okay, so he left and, you know, like she wanted attention and she got it for the first time in a long time. And the affair only lasted over that single weekend. Uh, And to me, I don't even consider it an affair since she basically checked out of the marriage. And it seemed like he kind of was checked out of the marriage because he wasn't present. Yeah, but men don't ever feel I know, I know. To me, I'd be like, well, you're not here. You're not loving me. You're not contributing. You're not, like, in my space. So we're not together, really. I I wouldn't take it as that. But like you said, men are like, you're mine. You're in my home. Yeah. We are together. Especially men like that. Like, I work, and you do what I tell you to do. To them, that's, like, the ideal marriage. And to regular-ass people, it's like, fuck you, no, it isn't. Right, yeah. So, Mark eventually found out and felt as if it was the most utter betrayal she could have ever done. Even though he was out partying and doing his own thing, for all she knew, she did suspect that he was sleeping with other women during the marriage. So... Yeah. I don't get it. (laughs) After that, he refused to go through with a divorce after finding out that she had that one affair. And threatened that she will never see the kids again. Specifically David. I don't understand why he singled David out, but he did. Um, And that if they were to go through with the divorce. So when manipulators don't get what they want, they usually tend to resort to emotional extortion, which we all know is a form of emotional abuse. This is what we call warning signs, people. Mark said, let's go to marriage counseling and work on the marriage, which they did. And so Julie wanting to make her family work and she wanted that picture perfect life and she that's why she went into this marriage in the first place and she had her beautiful kids and she was just so proud of it but he wasn't living up to his end so she felt guilty she obviously had that never seen her 
kids again looming over her as well. So she withdrew her petition for divorce. But then something strange started to happen. Julie would find pornographic pictures on her property, like on her deck, her front lawn, just out of the blue. The That's so weird. And she, when I heard this, I was like, what a strange move. It's all strange. Um, the pictures were cut out and pasted together to make it look very closely like her. So they weren't pictures of her. It was just assembled to look like her. That's so creepy. It's so fucking bizarre. And I shouldn't laugh. I was just, I'm so disturbed. I'm that like nervous so laughing. Weird. So somebody's just going and buying like all the porn magazines, looking for her features and cutting them out and gluing them together. That's exactly what I'm saying. That's twisted. Yeah. So it doesn't end there though. She would also get harassing phone calls telling her she was a whore for what she was, what she had done. She and Mark reported this to the police as it was nonstop for guess how long? I don't, a few months? Six whole years this was oh, going on. What the fuck? Six whole years Julie was just taking phone calls, finding all these very disturbing and very similar naked, grotesque pictures of I nudity all over her. I know, and yeah, there's so, no way I would have lived there. So Mark blames it on the man that Julie had an affair with. And however, after looking into him, it was determined that he had moved out of the area a long time ago and he ultimately moved on with his life. They questioned him and they were like, Are you doing this? And he's like, I honestly haven't thought about it since you know, it was a quick weekend. It was like a drop in the bucket for me. And he moved on, he moved out of the state, and he was done. Yeah. So they rolled him out. The police then spoke with Julie alone and told her that they suspected that it was her own husband that was tormenting her um, this whole time. So she didn't want to believe it, of course, of and course. brush it, their concerns to the side. Julie's friend started to notice the red flags in their relationship as well. So she had her book club over <clears throat> and she, it was her turn to host, so it was at her house, and a storm hit during it. The storm winds were so strong that a part of the structure of the house fell off, and Julie got so nervous and told them that she was afraid to tell Mark about it when he got home, and her friends were concerned as it was just, you know, nature, and it had no, it was no fault of her own, so... She was, they were like, this isn't right. Something is wrong here. On December 1st, 1998, Julie went to her family physician and uh, he also picked up on her physical appearance and mental state. The physician suggested that she go to counseling and notice a significant weight loss. So, I mean, even your physician, your friends, the cops are saying, listen, something's wrong here. Something needs to be done. And she's just blind to it. Right, because you don't think this... You don't think anything, like, horrible is going to happen to you. Right. And you definitely don't think your significant other is going to be the one doing these things to you. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure he's going to twist it. Like, your friends just don't want you to be near. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. Yeah. That's, <laughs> why is that always one of the things? It's like, they don't want to see you happy. It's yeah. Like, am I happy? 
It was an ominous day on December 3rd, 1998, and this is two days after she went to her position in the Carroll Beach neighborhood near the lakefront. It was on the day that Julie was found dead in her bed by, you guessed it, her husband, Mark. She died at the young age of 40. It had appeared to the police that it was a suicide, but then the DA, Bob Jam- Jambos, stated something wasn't right. Investigators discovered the next day that Julie gave an anonymous, oh my god, ominous, an ominous, anonymous, ominous letter (laughs) Uh, to her neighbor, which stated her suspicion against her husband and had specified details that incriminated him that validated her. I just fucking love that. Yeah. Um, The letter stated, quote, if anything happened to me, he would be my first suspect. I would never take my life because of my kids. They are everything to me. End quote. Along with this letter was a handwritten shopping list, not written by Julie, but written by Mark. And this was determined later by cross-referencing um, the handwriting of Mark and Julie. And obviously the handwriting that was on the letter given to the neighbor was different than the shopping list. Mm. The list included a list of items um, that were poisons and syringes. Who writes this shit down? (laughs) Here is my list to murder my wife. My murder kit list. Please have it. (laughs) Additionally, after a toxicology test was done and determined she had ethylene glycol, the main ingredient in antifreeze in her body. Uh, So remember that fancy computer? Mm -hmm. So Mark was searching for different ways to kill someone, making it look like a suicide. Of course he was. And Ask Jeeves, probably. (laughs) I totally (laughs) forgot about Ask Jeeves. (laughs) Investigators knew that with this being a poison ingested case with no immediate signs of foul play that they had their work cut out for them. And as if the whole thing didn't stink of suspicion, Mark looked as if he couldn't care less at Julie's funeral. He was witnessed to be laughing and joking around with people. He knew as if he had no grief like whatsoever. And one of Julie's friends noticed that Mark brought out a garbage bag full of Julie's belongings on the curb as if she was just yesterday's trash. That's horrible. And this was days after her funeral. Yeah, normal husbands don't do that. No, like, my husband better be, like, sobbing in my sweaters for years. (laughs) Like, wearing black every single day. So if you're listening to this, babe, you better mourn me. (laughs) If if I'm here, I'll make sure. Thank you. (laughs) So it took nine years, nine freaking years to arrest um, and bring Mark Jensen to trial for the death of his wife and the mother of his children. Wow. This trial was highly publicized and followed by the media and Wisconsin in general. It was a high profile trial broadcasted on television and the internet. And I've never heard of this fucking story. So Mark's attorneys committed to the gone girl strategy. 
So they shifted the blame back on Julie, stating that she was deeply depressed and that she committed suicide and pinned the whole thing on her husband. And I could see why people would think that she was depressed, and I could also see why it was evident on why she was depressed. She had an asshole of a husband who treated her like shit, and she had to run every aspect of their lives. So no wonder why she was fucking depressed. Right. So finally, after a lengthy trial, after many appeals and battles in state and federal courts, Mark Jensen was officially convicted in February 2008. The prosecution led by Special Prosecutor Robert Jambos was was successfully convicted. Uh, Mark Jensen argued that Ooh. Okay, so he basically said that Mark Jensen killed the mother of his two young sons in order to make it easier for him to be, to basically move in his mistress, Kelly Labonte. Of course. Because there's always a mistress that moves in always. literally a week before, or yeah. after, I'm sorry. Yeah, that's why he had to move his wife's stuff out so the mistress could move in. Right. I have to look at it. This story is like so mind-boggling but it's so repeated like the mm-hmm. amount of cases that are so similar to this is i can't even it's so count. just move out with your freaking whore mistress <laughs> <laughs> you could just leave the kids and your wife alone you don't have to kill your wife you don't have to kill your wife just move out seriously so like i said boom which he moved into the house he shared with Julie and me remarried. I'm sorry, not remarried. Can I not talk today? I feel like this is like a podcaster's thing where you just can't fucking talk. The mic is on, we cannot talk. <laughs> so he married her in 2002, a mere three years later. Didn't she have her own house? But he moved in with her. <laughs> you would think, but I mean, I would hate to live in my new husband's home in which he. First of all, she died there. Mm-hmm. Second of all, they like had a whole life there. So what? Yeah. Am I supposed to be a placeholder? And she was harassed there for six years. Yeah, like, it's just no- nothing good about this. Nothing at all. is. Yeah, no, absolutely not. However, while this was all true, it is alleged and agreed that he also kills his wife due to his intense obsession over a previous sexual affair that she had. It was also determined that it was, in fact, Mark that terrorized Julie for years with the harassing phone calls and pornographic pictures. No fucking shit it was him. Right. Because who the fuck else? Who cares? Right? And you know how we know it was him, besides us already knowing it was him? (laughs) There were thousands of pictures of male genitalia's hand-drawn in Mark's personal notebook and male genitalias found on his computer as well. So he was very obsessed with all of this type of shit. Oh. Why male genitalia? Don't know. Interesting. Um, and like, I love that this is before the time where people realize that you can trace everything in a computer. Right. And like, the fact that he hand drew what I'm assuming is penises and balls yeah. All over a like notebook? A, like a fourth grader. Exactly. I'm like, man, I haven't drawn a penis since, like... Right. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know how long. <laughs> um, 
Additionally, one of Mark's former co-workers testified that during a work conference in the fall of 1989, um, remember Julie died in the winter of 1989, that he stated that he hated his wife and mentioned that he's been looking at websites about killing one spouse. So, so he said out loud to a person, to another human being, who is not his former mistress, <laughs> I want to kill my wife. And they're like, cool. Cool, cool, cool. Yeah. Thanks for sharing. I would have been like, I'm getting out of here right after this conversation. Yeah. Um, yeah, that definitely did happen. And he definitely did testify to that. Apparently, the co-worker didn't go to the police because he feared that Mark would retaliate against him and his family, which I would be very scared, too, because obviously you're looking shit up on the internet. Right. But if he goes to jail, how's he going to retaliate? True. David Thompson, an inmate, which, here we go, an inmate in jail that shared the same cell block as Mark during the trial stated that Mark said he could have someone kidnap the said former co-worker before the trial, which didn't look good for Mark when that came out. So he definitely had plans to, like... Who's going to kidnap people for Mark? The mistress. The mistress. Gotta be. Oh my god. I can't imagine he has a lot of friends. I'm sure he made some CD connections on all these websites that he was looking at. Maybe. So, all this and the letter beyond the gray was the nail on his coffin as well. So, the prosecution spelled out everything. Um, everything out for five weeks. That's how long. That's a long ass trial. You have five weeks for the prosecution, and the defense took only five days. And Mark opted out of taking the stand in his defense. Ultimately, the jury did not believe that Julie committed suicide. She loved her boys too much. She was too dedicated to them to ever leave them. Um, the jury deliberated for four days and came back with a guilty verdict. At the age of 48, he was sentenced to life in prison without parole. And you know what is sick? Um, now the two boys have no mother, their father's in prison, and they're being raised by the father's mistress. Jesus Christ. <laughs> if I was Julie, I would just be haunting everyone at this point. Haunting everybody. You got this bitch in my house. Exactly. And now she's raising, raising my kids. And you killed me to be with her. How mad are you? So mad. <laughs> I want to slap Mark. Yeah. But uh, this is going to make you hate him even more. Mark Jensen's story doesn't stop there. Apparently, this bastard has nine lives. At Kenosha, a Kenosha County judge vacated 63-year-old Mark Jensen's conviction in April 2021 after the Supreme Court ruled Mark deserved a new trial. The Supreme Court found voicemails and a letter his wife wrote incriminating him in the event something should happen to her could not be used by the prosecution as it was in the first trial. It basically said, this isn't something that should have been used. We're in a grand jury trial. Bullshit, bullshit, bullshit. Right. In early 2022, the U.S. Supreme Court helped to pave the way for the new trial when it declined to hear an appeal of the Wisconsin Supreme Court's ruling. The so-called letter from the grave in which Julie Jensen wrote that if anything happened to me, that her husband would be my first suspect was not allowed into the evidence during this lengthy trial. 
it truly was the trial of the century that never ended. And so the shit show continued and the retrial cost the county tens of thousands of dollars just to try this motherfucker all over again. This retrial began on January 2023, this year. But let me remind you that Julie was murdered in 1998. In this trial, Mark Jensen again chose not to testify during his four-week retrial as is his constitutional right, and honestly, it's the best move because I would have spit on him. Right, nobody wants to hear anything he has to say. Fuck you, Mark. Some of those called to testify by the defense included a forensic pathologist, a medical toxicologist, a forensic psychiatrist, and um, the Jensen's oldest son and Mark Jensen's sister. The, I hate that they involve the kids. I hate right. that. But they're they're grown now. I mean, they're adults. Yeah. yeah. The prosecution rested after calling 38 witnesses to the stand and playing lengthy videos of some of the men and women who testified during the first trial but were unable to testify again or had died. I'm glad that they were like, click, here's what everybody said before, I'm going to do it again. Uh, among those who testified during the first two weeks of trial for the prosecution included law enforcement uh, officials, former co-workers of Mark Jensen, the guy that he had tried kidnapping, um, former neighbors of the Jensen's, a brother of Julie, uh, medical examiners, and inmates who Mark Jensen reportedly told of his alleged actions. So throughout the trial, trial graphic photos of Julie Jensen's autopsy and body from when it was found in bed were shown to the jury. Additionally, Larry Griffin, one of Julie Jensen's brothers, spoke to the media right after the jury began deliberating. And Larry held a photo album of his sister with pictures of Julie Jensen at various moments throughout her life. He was accompanied by Jeanette Perez, a coordinator with Women's and Children's Horizons, a local nonprofit dedicated to helping those facing domestic abuse, which we can all agree that this is that case. Mm-hmm. He stated that the media, quote, we are, or to the media, I'm sorry, um, quote, we are dismayed and bewildered that this trial took place a second time 24 years after you gave up your life, Julie, for your three Ds. We're uncomfortable with the status of reliving all the events surrounding your death in full view of the public. Right. Julie, we dearly love you, love and appreciate, and thank your friends and neighbors who shared pleasant times with you, who can testify to your vibrance and caring nature. Our utmost gratitude goes out to those kind people who helped you in your times of distress, including the Pleasant Prairie Police and the first responders, end quote. So her brother stated that Mark was aggressive toward Julie and manipulated her with economic abuse, isolation, and threats, which we all know. The jury first deliberated after closing statements, and they were instructed from the judge, um, with instructions from the judge. The next day, the jury ate a roasted chicken for lunch and then went and to announce that they had reached their verdict. 
And yeah, the um, articles did announce they have roasted chicken, as if it was breaking news, so I threw it in there too. Um, Mark Jensen was found guilty of felony first degree intentional homicide for the second time. A jury of six men and six women from Kenosha County took less than seven hours to agree that this horrible excuse of a husband was guilty of poisoning his wife with odorless ethylene glycol, more commonly known as antifreeze, in her juice, and then suffocated her to death by turning her face down in their bed and sitting on top of her in early December 1998. Even with all of the evidence found in his conviction, he has maintained his innocence, as they all do. After the verdict was announced, Judge Anthony Milizowskis revoked Mark Jensen's $1.2 million bond. The sentencing hearing will be held on April 14th, 2023, which is coming up here shortly. Special Prosecutor Robert Jambos stated, ooh, uh, he was very pleased with the verdict. He addressed the media in the court's basement and read the letter Julie Jensen wrote a week and a half before her murder that she gave her to her next-door neighbor out loud to a dozen of reporters. It read, quote, If anything happens to me, give this to the police. And the neighbor did give it to the police on January 4th, the day after she was found. And I would have to agree with Special Prosecutor Jambos when he said that Mark is a, quote, brutally cold-blooded and a true sociopath, end quote. Definitely. Mark is definitely sick. He can have his own affairs, his own infidelities, treat his wife like a second-class citizen, treat his children like they are options instead of his responsibility and yet punish Julie over and over again, ultimately ending her life. Mark Jensen has stated that he is going to appeal the verdict. Special Prosecutor Jambo stated, if he does, I'll be back and we'll try the son of a bitch again, end quote. Again, Julie's boys were cheated a mother and now their father is back in prison. And that is the story of beautiful, of the beautiful, dedicated mother, Julie Jensen. Great job. I can't believe I've never heard about this, and it's been going on for 24 years. I know. And I just, I was like, totally captured by this story. Yeah, it's crazy. I could not believe that this guy had the balls to just be like, no, I didn't do it. And time and time again fight it and fight it and fight it it's like you did it everybody knows you did it right everybody knows you're a piece of shit right so now you can rock yeah Yeah. great job thank you thank you all right we love you guys we do bye All the Sins of Wisconsin was written, recorded, edited, and produced by Fallon and Mims. Thank you so much to all of our listeners, supporters, friends, and family that continually allow us to do what we love. If you love our show as much as we love you, please give us a glowing rating and review. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram to see what we are up to and email us your sinner tales at allthesinsofwi at gmail.com. 
episodes of All the Sins of Wisconsin are available for free wherever you listen to podcasts. And don't Don't forget, forget, we we love you. you.